Flicka, could you take this one too? Um, go ahead and open your Bibles to James chapter 1. I'm going to move this over here. That way people over there can actually see. All right, we're going back to our series on James. We took a break because of Passion Week and all the festivities. We'll do a quick intro to bring it back in here. If we go to the first... Oh, so today uh, we're talking about James chapter 1, and we're moving on to the passage about the crown of life. So you guys... uh, Next slide, Emily. So quick review, we spent months talking about the Beatitudes, and these are the Beatitudes, just for a refresher. And then we went into the book of James, and again, the book of James is about the Beatitudes. They're just commentaries on the Beatitudes. So let's go to the next one. So James combats the anti-Beatitudes. So um, it says in James, we must challenge the spirit or the popular philosophy of our world which is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, envious, and self-seeking. So just as there's an anti-Christ and there's an um, anti-philosophy against his kingdom, James um, combats these anti-beatitudes. And so chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5 of James, the world says avoid trials. And that's what we're going to talk about today is James' response to uh, the idea that we should avoid trials. But further on, just to kind of a glimpse ahead in the months to come, the world also says, give preference to those who can help you. The world says, promote yourself by doing by what you say. The world says, demand your rights. The world says, grab all the money you can. And these are anti-kingdom values that James wants to combat each one of these. Okay, let's go to the next one. And then, um, so we talked about James 1, 2 through 4 in one of our earlier sermons. Joseph preached on this, where it says, Count it all joy, my brothers. Remember, we're talking about trials in James chapter 1. That you meet various trials of, uh, meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So Joseph talked about trials and why we should actually not like primarily try to be avoiding every trial, but God actually brings some trials in our life to produce stead, uh, to test our faith, and in testing our faith, producing the beautiful fruit of steadfastness, which, um, you know, like uh, one of the characters, like, what do you want to be like? You know, like, what do you want to be like when you grow up? Or what do you want to be like? What's some characteristics? We always say like humble, loving, but I very, very rarely hear Anyone, I want to be steadfast, <laughs> you know, like, but it's actually very biblical. It's so biblical that God, who's a loving father, will allow his children to suffer to produce this valuable fruit of being steadfast. And in steadfastness, when it has fully matured, God says that is his definition of perfection and completeness. Um, Okay, let's go on to the next one. So we talked about that in trials, and then we talked about those who are um, pursuing steadfastness in trials are are told to ask or have the invitation to ask for wisdom from God. So if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and will be given to him, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. 
Um, so you can continue to read on your own. But we talked about in the last sermon how wisdom is not um, predominantly a mindset, but a man. Okay, um, That all religions are pursuing some sort of wisdom in their own definition and in their own category. In fact, if you're going to school, a lot of teachers and professors will say, we're seeking wisdom. Right? But the Christian understands that wisdom is not primarily a mindset or um, an educational value placed on it, but it is actually a man, Jesus. You cannot have wisdom without him. And so when a Christian asks for wisdom in their trials, because everyone asks for wisdom in their trials, everyone who's suffering will ask for wisdom. But the Christian understands that when we ask for wisdom, we're not asking God for a mindset or an idea or course of action that will primarily result in our happiness and our good. We're asking the man, Jesus, what he wants, right, for his glory. Yeah? And that might actually look like, you know, uh, and it will in the days to come, I believe, even in the world, our own suffering and even unto death, Right. Um, so it's about the glory of God. That is true wisdom. It's about the glory of God at the end of the day. Okay. So now we go into today's passage. And today's passage is the next slide. James, James 19, or 1, 9 through 15. So um, if you have it in your Bibles, please open it there. just want to get us used to as a community to be people who open our word um, in front of us. Um, James 1, 9 through 15. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed or happy is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So in the course of trials, uh, we rejoice, we ask for wisdom. And this passage actually is speaking about, and if you can actually go to the next slide, um, one of the evidences that we have actually received wisdom, that we have um, received in essence not just the ideas and the mentality, but Jesus himself has become the priority for us. And the evidence of wisdom or Jesus is that our perspective and our evaluation of reality, our, our priorities, actually start to change. It actually says that the poor will exalt uh, in his elevation. It actually says that the poor, it's not that the poor will um, you know, rejoice because he's poor, right? Um, but that he will rejoice in Jesus despite his circumstances. And so when we think of poor, we automatically think of monetary poverty, but it's also talking about any kind of poverty. Like some of us are poor monetarily, some of us are poor. Actually, I would say nobody here is really poor monetarily if you're living in America, right? But, you know, there's some of us who are poor in health, um, poor in 
um, education or intellect, poor in relationships or poor in skill or strength or even maybe poor in respect, like not many people respect you. There's different forms of poverty, but God actually says that those who have wisdom or those who have Jesus, like even though they be poor, their mindset is so set on things above that there is a rejoicing or boasting in his exaltation. Yeah? Um, none of us should actually allow the circumstances in our life, no matter how bad it is, how terrible it is, none of us should allow it to destroy our joy that God has given or make us feel bitter or inferior or, or even not, some of us are, don't manifest as bitterness or inferior when we um, feel our poverty. We actually withdraw, right? Or we uh, are non-participatory or acting in an ungodly manner. Like none of us should be that way because the poor man, his perspective changed in Christ realizes that he is rich and he's so not set on the hope of this world that he is excited and even boasting of the kingdom to come. Okay, uh, An example of this, obviously, is Jesus. If we want to talk about the most poor man who's ever been poor on the face of the planet, you could look at Mozambique, you can search through you know, um, Haiti or whatever, you will find that Jesus Christ is actually far more poor. Um, I mean, imagine it. He had no money. He's stripped of his clothes. He's stripped of pretty much half of the skin off his back, right? Uh, nailed on the cross naked. I mean, this man was poor. Like, if there was anybody who hit bottom, bottom of the, the barrel, like, is that a phrase? Yeah. No friends, right? Except Mary Magdalene. Like, all his, his guy friends deserted him, except for John and Mary Magdalene. Um, but he's up there on the cross, the poorest man on the world. And, you, and we would say Jesus has every right at that point to do what most of us do when we're poor, experiencing poverty, and whether it's health or relationship. Like, woe is me. Like, this sucks. Like, did you see what they did to me? <laughs> you know? Like, Jesus has every right to be mopey. Okay? And yet, surprisingly, he looks at the thief to his right, and he goes, or on his left, and he goes, today, you and I will be in paradise. <laughs> like, he's boasting in a richness to come, and this man who's suffering next to him, who probably only sees what's in front of him right now, he also teaches this man, like, hey, I boast, boast with me, like in the paradise, in our exaltation. Right, that's as James says. So that is an evidence of someone with wisdom. Um, I hear it all the time. People come into church, and it's not wrong to, to note that you have problems, but there's a bemoaning, ah, oh, I don't have, I have a test coming up, or I have this, or I don't have this, and I don't, my, <laughs> I don't have money, or my wife was like this, or my child's been like this, and there's like a, a mutter, mutter, mopey, mopey, like, woe is me, sort of, um, but wisdom, like in the midst of trials, God says, one who is truly redeemed in Christ, who has taken on the image of Jesus himself um, and prioritizes him instead of his own exaltation, uh, the own person, the exaltation of Christ, will be wise and um, boast in the, their exaltation. So uh, Romans eight seventeen, and if children their heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, 
that we may also be glorified together. I wanted to give um, two examples in the Bible just really quickly about, um, you know, that passage that Jesus says, are not two sparrows, so two sparrows, are they not sold for a penny? Um, That phrase, actually, if you look in Deuteronomy, why why were they selling sparrows? It was to for sacrifices, right? Normally you were supposed to sell or sacrifice um, a lamb, but God says, if you're too poor, give sparrows. They only cost a penny, (laughs) right? God doesn't actually say, oh, poor you, like, you know, your situation's really rough. Even amongst the poor, even amongst those who are poor, he says, still bring an offering and a sacrifice. Still contribute. Don't withdraw, like, don't go into self-pity. I can't, so, eh. Like, like, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And he even says about the widow. We all know that story. Like, the widow who brought two pennies. I mean, I, th- I feel like a lot of us would just be like, you know, if Cindy only had two pennies, we'd be like, you know what, save it, Cindy. Like, <laughs> you can serve in other ways, you know? Like, like it's fine. Like, give her this or that. But actually, Jesus says, look at her. Like, she brought her two pennies. Like, though she had not much, like, she had the right heart. The right heart under the fire of trial. She positioned herself correctly and that she still gave. Right? Don't be so, so swallowed up in your condition. Don't be so swallowed up in your poverty that you, don't, you forget that it is actually about God. Okay? Um. So, uh, next one. So, that was the poor boasting in their exaltation, the rich boasting in their humiliation. Um, That's another evidence that even rich people, their minds are renewed in Christ, that they are not primarily, even if they're rich today, boasting in their riches today, they are boasting in the kingdom to come. Um, One example, again, is Jesus. Uh, It's amazing that when Jesus rose from the dead, you would think it'd be like, all right, erase all the marks, right? Like, but actually Jesus goes around and he shows his disciples like his marks. He can show his disciples a lot of things. Like, look, look, I'm, I, I can walk through walls. I can like, he could even take them up to heaven, show them all the glory that he gets and everything like that. But he's boasting and Jesus will continue to boast for all eternity, though he'd be the richest man and he received the inheritance of his suffering, uh, king of all heaven and, and earth. Like, look at my scars. <laughs> look at my scars. Like, there's a, there's a boasting in the marks of humiliation. Why? Because Jesus, like, his most proud moment is his faithfulness to Christ, to God in the midst of his trials, right? Um, he rejoiced in that he went through suffering. And honestly, all of us will have that story. Like, all of us are going through trials even now. Um, and we'll, all of us, if we're walking in Christ, we will be rich one day. But our greatest boasts probably won't be in that big house as we have in heaven or whatnot. Like, our boasts will actually be in the suffering where we walked faithfully with Christ when we had the chance to. Right. Like I love what Becca was saying yesterday. He, she was saying that in the midst of trials, like this is the only opportunity in your 70 years of life, 70 years for all eternity, you only have 70 years to actually give God an offering of love and faithfulness in the midst of trials. Right. What a beautiful gift to be able to give God. We will never be able to give that to him again. Right. And 
So um, Psalm 75, 5 says, do not let, go back, go back. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Okay, Psalm 75, 5, do not lift up your horn on high or speak with haughty necks. If you're rich, if you are, God has given you influence, God has given you popularity, God has given you relationship and money and whatnot. Uh, you know, like, we look at those people who, um, oh, I don't even know because I don't really know who does this, but like, I know they do this, but um, like they take picture, they put their money, all their money in cash and they lay it out on their bed and they take a picture and put it on like Instagram, you know what I'm talking about? Or like stuff like that. Like that's boasting in your riches, obviously, but we're like, we don't do that. We're too good for that. But we do that a little bit. <laughs> like we boast in other things, right? We're posting other things or we're kind of slightly back. Like God says, don't lift up your horn on high. Those who are rich or speak haughty with a haughty neck. Actually, they did studies. And one of the predominant things about rich people is um, they, they're kind of rough on others. Like, and they speak kind of with a haughtiness about them. Like, I wouldn't do that or I'm better than that. Don't do that, God says, but it, because it's God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. It is, the, he's saying to the rich man, look, like every moment of richness, whether in relationships or in money or in possession or whatnot, or promotion, every one of those, recognize and give glory to God because it's he who lifted you up. Not by your own might, not by your own strength, but recognize, say it, like speak it, um, give honor where honor is due. It is God who has given you these things. Um, like, uh, so I wanted to give a few examples that stood out in my mind. Actually, the other day I was at a worship event, and it was like one of those late night worship events. And it was this worship event where, like, uh, the pastor was saying, like, it was very um, different than ours in terms of, it's like, everybody stand up, everybody sit down, everybody raise your hand, everybody walk around, everybody do this, everybody do that, right? And uh, uh, if you're kind of like proud like me, you'd be like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> Why is he telling me to do this again? How long is worship? <laughs> like, gonna go. But what I was really surprised to see um, is actually next to me, um, and I totally forgot his name, so just you're gonna have to help me. But there was an OSU football player who's like the most famous one right now at OSU. Uh, his name sounds like Becca, but it's not. A Mecca. Okay, um, so he is like he's like the star football player of OSU right now. His name is a Mecca. And um, Joseph was trying to explain to me, because I don't follow football, like, he goes, yeah, that guy's famous. <laughs> and I look at him, and I was like, how famous? <laughs> and he's like, like, super famous. Like, he has all these YouTube videos about him. Like, he is, um, he told me, like, Jet, if there was a king of campus right now, it's him. Like, everybody knows who he is. And I was looking at him. And this guy was sitting there, like, being told what to do, raise his hand, worship the Lord, move here, do this. And he was just doing all of it. He was just doing all of it. Like, that Friday night, he could have been out partying, being the king of campus, whatnot. Instead, he was with me, like, at this pastor's church, being told to sit, stand, move, shake, whatever it may be. Like, you know, for the glory of God. This man was not so rich that he forgot who it was who elevated him. Yeah. Um, may we have that ability. May God give us that grace, that, that humility. Yeah. Um, and there was um, 
Actually, I'll skip uh, Edward Rickman for now, but Eric Liddell, a little, yeah. Uh, many of us don't know, but those who are older may remember who he is. Um, he was, oh, actually, next picture. Yeah, that, that was Eric Little. Eric Little was a uh, famous Olympian, and he was for the British. He ran the 100-meter dash. The British, he was, um, who's that really fast guy right now? Uh, the the yeah, Bolt. He was the Bolt of back in the day, right? The British were so excited about him. They're like, Little's coming. He's going to win the gold. Like, he is the Bolt of all the world right now. And, um, and then they were like, all right, it's almost time for the Olympics. Like, the qualifiers, right before the Olympics comes up. And Little goes, I'm not running that day. They're like, but it's the qualifiers. Why aren't you running that day? It's a Sunday. I'm going to church. <laughs> and it blew up. Like there was a huge fiasco about it. Like all over the front pages of the newspaper, little, little won't run. <laughs> He's going to church. <laughs> like, and everyone threatened him. Like, if you don't run, you're going to lose all the money that you that like will come with the gold. Like, you will shame your country. Like, you won't qualify at all. Like, da-da-da-da, like, every accusation. He's like, I'm not running. Like, Sunday is the day I go to church and honor God. Like, and he held to it. And he wasn't able to run the 100-meter dash. Um, And everyone was just mind-blown. And what happened instead was that he ran... um, he, he went into another qualifier, which was like on a Tuesday or something like that, for the 400-meter dash, right? Yeah. And like 400-meter, he was, hadn't been training for that. Everyone said across the world, like, he was the underdog. He's not expected to win this at all. And when he went to the Olympics, of course, he won gold. He, he blew the rest of the competition out of the water, okay? And, and then uh, that next Sunday, he went to another church to preach, right? Like... <laughs> But, like, newspapers were asking him, like, why did you do that? Why did you do that? Da-da-da. And for months and months and months, he had a platform to say, God is more important than this. Like, I do not boast in my riches. I boast in my humiliation that I didn't get to run this, but because it's God who's more important. Right? And to this day, every Olympian who goes to the Olympics, whether they agree with him or not, knows who little is knows his story. They made a movie about him, Chariots of Fire. Right? Um, they know his story, whether they agree or not, and they stand in awe at his determination of the worth of God. Right? Yeah, he was a missionary. So. Oh, I didn't know he was a missionary. That's great. I, I, I only... Oh, wow, that's great. Okay, um, go back one. Um, now I'll talk briefly about Edward Reichman. Now, Edward Reichman was a billionaire in New York. And uh, the true story is that when Edmund, and some of you guys actually heard me say this story, Edward Reichman, um, famous, famous billionaire, when he died, he had two envelopes. And he told his kids to open one right after he died before he was buried and to open the second one um, 30 days after he was buried. So... After he died, his kids, weeping, you know, comes around and opens the first letter, and he's like, basically, summary is that, kids, I want to be buried with my favorite pair of socks, right? 
And uh, like, all of us are like, cool, that's good. But actually for the Jewish people, it was very difficult because they don't bury in anything other than a white linen. Okay. So the kids went to the rabbi, went to the people who did the funeral. Could you, could, my dad's one last request, like bury him in his, this pa- favorite pair of socks. Could you do it? No one would let him. No one would let them. Like, come on, it's just his last wish. They fought it super hard. They're like, he was a religious man. He donated this. We'll give you this extra, like, X amount of money if you will just let him be buried in his favorite pair of socks. None would let him. Defeated the kids. Like, you know, he got buried in the white linen. 30 days later, they opened the second letter. And the dad writes, kids, by now you will have failed. <laughs> May this always remind you that no matter how much money you have, that when you die, you can't even be buried with a pair of socks. Like, uh, that's a great dad lesson right there. (laughs) Like, he thought that one through. (laughs) But that lesson, that, that lesson that that Jewish man who understood Torah wanted to pass on to his kids, like, we, like, may God teach that to us as our Heavenly Father, that we can take nothing with us. That our boasting in our riches and our, our, hoarding and and thinking about building our own kingdoms like it is at the end of the day unto nothing you can't even take a single thing with you at the end that's the rich boasting in their humiliation yeah god gave me this but honestly like the reality of understanding we can't take any of it yeah and there is a comfort in that too and a, a, a humility but a comfort in that that whether you're rich or whether you're poor like at the end of the day we all stand before the Lord, in need of his blood and with nothing that we've done in our own effort and energy worth bringing into eternity. Um, so I, I actually wrote this prayer for myself because um, I wanted to, to read this prayer to you guys because most of us actually here would qualify, if not all of us, would qualify for rich um, in comparison to the rest of the world. And um, If you go to the next, next, and then next one, um, out of first, whoop, back up. Out of 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, I wrote this prayer, and I pray often in the prayer room, and I, I just want to pray it over us real quick. And if you guys, as, as um, you're welcome to read it with me, like not out loud, but um, to receive it and actually speak it to the Lord. Um, let's just say this to the Lord in our hearts together. Dear God, help me not be haughty and puffed up with pride. Direct my heart to set its hope on God and not on the uncertainty of riches. You are the true provider of everything enjoyable. Cause my heart not to settle into false security of thinking that my prosperity is a strong fortress. Remove any idolatry of mammon in my life so that I would not crave riches and possessions and trap myself in a snare of many senseless and harmful desires. Instead, God, teach me to flee the love of riches Although this harmful lust of wealth causes some to wander away from faith, teach me to fight the good fight of faith and to take hold of that which is truly life. With my own strength it is impossible, but with you all is possible. Lead me in doing good and to value being rich in good works. Open my heart and hands to be generous and ready to share. Set my mind on treasures above where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Guide me in pursuing righteousness, godliness, faith, love, 
and steadfastness and gentleness. Give me an undivided heart to serve you and you alone. Amen. Okay, go on to the next slide. Uh, John Calvin said, Since it is incomparably the greatest dignity to be introduced into the company of angels, nay, to be made associates of Christ, he who estimates this favor of God aright will regard all other things as worthless. Right? You know, in comparison to the riches of knowing God, comparison to what he has for us, whether we're poor, whether we're rich, in comparison, it doesn't matter. All right, going on to the next one. Um, so the passage uh, goes from like, oh, do I have time? Okay. <laughs> I'll, uh, should I bless it? I'll, I'll just give a quick s- summary. Okay. Um, so the next part of that same passage um, says, in the midst of trials, poor uh, exaltation, rich in humiliation. And then it actually says, like, actually, can you go back to that, that verse in the original, Emily? Back, 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 back. Oh, forward, forward. Okay, there, sorry. <laughs> okay, so um, the rich will fade away. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let's go back to that crown slide, Emily. Um, so Colossians 3.2 says to set our minds on things above, not on things on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Like all the riches, all the goodness is not, not here anymore. It's hidden in him. When Christ who is in your life appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Um, the crown, the word we, we think of often as like uh, kings with crowns and, and land and regions, but actually the word is Stephanos, and it was actually used more in um, those who ran the race, right? The Olympians who finished the race would receive a Stephanos, and the Stephanos actually was worth a lot, like sometimes, like, um, and there was a, a record of a man in the 6th century who won um, an Olympic Stephanos, and he got enough money for 16 years he didn't have to work. Yeah. Or actually, 14 years. Sorry, 14 years he didn't have to work. Um, so there was a reward right, of rest. There was a reward of rest and riches. So uh, God actually says, like, those who are steadfast, you will receive a rest that is in Christ, a rest... Um, in the Bema Awards, I call it, because Bema means the judgment seat of Christ. But, um, like, there's a reward for those who are steadfast in the race. Uh, we see it in um, Revelation, right? When he talks about the different churches, he says, here's your reward. You get to eat from the tree. You get a new name. You get power to rule nations. You're recognized by God, made a pillar. Not everyone gets every one of these rewards. These rewards are specified for those who run the race in a certain manner, in a certain way. When we get to heaven, and we don't hear this taught very often, at least I didn't, but when we get to heaven, we're not all equal. Like, we're not all, it's not a communistic system, like, where we all get the same thing. Like, there are actually, like, different levels of rewards for those who ran in a specific way, this race of life. And uh, if you can go to the next slide. The Bible actually talks about, um, there's actually a theology called the five heavenly crowns, and actually, there's different crowns for different things that you do in life. Um, and not everyone will get a crown, right? So 
There's the crown of life is reserved for those who persevere under trials, which is what we're talking about. But I just wanted you guys to see the other four. There's the incorruptible crown reserved for only those who practice self-denial and persevered. There's a crown of righteousness. Those who are excited about Jesus' coming receive the crown of righteousness. The crown of glory reserved only for those who shepherd God's flock in love. The crown of righteousness for those who actually evangelize those who are on the outside. Oh, yeah, I forgot what the fifth one. I must have copy-pasted. <laughs> Leave it to mom to point out the mistakes. All right. <laughs> but yeah, but there are uh, different crowns for different things. I forgot what the last crown is called. Somebody could look it up. But um, go on to the next slide. Um, the crown of life specifically is if you are steadfast under trials. That's what James 1 is talking about. That regardless, if it could be a trial that's a temptation. It could be a trial that is bitter. But poverty or riches, like the steadfastness and that to receive the crown of life means that whether you're in poverty or, ri- or riches, you resist thinking of self. You resist your own desire. That's what James says, your own desire. And to think only of the glory of God. Revelation says that they did not love their life even unto death, whether you're poor or rich, that you did not love your life even unto death. And I just wanted to highlight this part because I really want us to grab a hold of it that no matter, like everyone here is going to go through seasons where God gives a lot and riches, and then you're going to have seasons of poverty, right? There's four seasons, winter, spring, like fall, you know, summer, fall, like all of us will go through seasons. Like some of us are going through grace. I, I mean, RJ is probably going through a great season right now. <laughs> He's, you know, white coat ceremony. He, he, he was here for morning prayer, and he had to run off to the ceremony. But uh, white coat ceremony, high highs, you know. Um, you're glorified. We're going to go through good seasons, but then we're going to have to have the sober fact that we're going to go through rough seasons, right? But God gives us seasons of riches and poverty to see if we will turn either our riches and our poverty to glorify God. And we see this with every single person, that Moses, he was in the palace, then he was in the wilderness, <laughs> then he was back in the palace. We see it with Joseph, family, father's favorite, sold to slavery, prison, king, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> we see those with Daniel, you know, home, exiled, Babylon, slave, number two in the world, like thrown into the lion's den. <laughs> you know? like Everyone goes through highs and lows. This is ordained by the Lord. It's ordained by the Lord for the purpose. He watches the children of earth and sees, will you take your season of riches? Will you take your season of poverty? And will you glorify God in the midst of every season? Romans 1, 21 through 23. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking. They exchanged the glory of God. They exchanged the glory of the mortal God. They exchanged it. That's what we often do. We exchange our riches um, that were meant for the glory of God. We exchange even our poverty, like, for to be about ourselves, right? But Jesus' last prayer, I love it. He says this to God. Like, this is the last prayer Jesus says before he goes on the cross. 
He goes, Father, you read it many times in John chapter 17. Father, I did it. I showed them your name. Like that was the summation of all his 33 years of life. Father, I did it. In my poverty, in the days of riches, days of poverty, I showed them your character, who you are. I glorified you. I did it. Okay. That's our prayer for our lives. Like, be it that God gives us 30 years, 50 years, 70 years, 80 years, 100 years. May we say at the end, like, God, I did it. In my seasons of prosperity, in my seasons of difficulty, I made known your name. Um, go to the next slide. I think it's the last one. Oh, next slide. I love this phrase. I think it, I read it in a Spurgeon book once. But um, he said, And having sent all things ahead of himself, he laid his head down to rest and died. This is not in the Bible, but it was something that Spurgeon was talking about one day. And I love that phrase. That having sent all things ahead of himself into the kingdom to come, having put value in that, like, like, he rested, right? And I, I just love that phrase. Um, may that be said about us as well. So I'm going to invite Becca to come and uh, lead us in a time of response and prayer. Thank you. Um, yeah, that was, that was so good.